We are continuing our series, The Key to a Happy Life. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to uh, say amen, to jump in, and, uh, you know, don't be quiet, because if you're real quiet, people will think that I'm talking to you, okay? If you, you know, if you're like, hey, people need to hear this, then say amen once in a while. I don't know if you're picking up on this, but it was quiet in the first service. And um, you'll find out why in just a minute. But um, like I said, you want to say amen some just to, you know, kind of pass it off to somebody. This is for somebody else. No, really, it's for all of us, all right? But don't get, don't get quiet on me. So our key verse has been Proverbs 3.13, happy is the man who finds wisdom. Listen, the man who finds wisdom is happy because wisdom helps us avoid so many of the pitfalls and the mistakes that have the potential to bring trouble and problems and even misery into our lives. See, when we have the wisdom of God, it just helps us to navigate through life safely to a blessed place where we can really live and experience all that God has for us. There are two areas that people really struggle with, and these two areas are also the least liked to be talked about in church. One of them is money. And as a preacher, I hate to talk about money just because of the attitude of our culture about preachers and money. The other one, though, makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and that is sex. It's interesting, though, in the book of Proverbs where Solomon is writing about wisdom, he talks about both of these issues all the time. In fact, both of these issues are talked about and taught about all the way through Scripture. And yet, it seems like a lot of the time we don't talk about them just a whole lot in church. But Solomon knew how important these areas are. I tell you, the Lord knows how important these areas are. But today the message is morality-wise. And there's a number of things we could talk about in regard to morality. But we're going to focus today on sexual immorality. Can we talk about sex in church? Is it okay to do that? I want to tell you because it is. Because even though that, that little three-letter word might not be found in the Bible, the subject is talked about all through the Word of God. And we need to see what the Scripture says about this subject. You know, all of us know what a critical area this is. Because we've all seen the consequences. We've all seen the devastation sometimes of lives that where bad choices have been made. You know, when you make bad choices in this area of your life, it can affect your life and your future, but also the lives of your family and the lives of those around you. It can have such an impact on others' lives. So if we're going to have a happy life, we got to make wise choices in this area. Of all the regrets that people have about their life, for many, the greatest regrets, the longest lasting regrets, have to do with morality. See, eventually, you might get to the place where you look back at a bad financial decision you made. You know, you shouldn't have bought that car or that truck. You thought it was really cool. But in hindsight, it was a bad mistake. Eventually, you might look back and laugh about it. I know there's things that I said 20 years ago, and I'm just like, man, how stupid was it for me to say that? We don't have to go back that far, but 
I'm just saying sometimes though later we get to the place where we can actually kind of laugh about it. But nobody ever gets to the place where they can laugh about an affair. Nobody gets to the place where they laugh about a divorce. See, nobody gets to the place where they laugh about sexual addiction or sexual abuse. We need to understand that this area of life can bring some of the longest and most difficult regrets. There are memories that are formed. There are things that are, get in our heart, and it can be so difficult to deal with those issues. And so I want you to, I want you to hear this. It's so important that we learn God's wisdom in this area of our life. I want to say clearly, the Lord forgives And he restores. Amen. Amen. He loves us. Yes. But we need to learn God's wisdom. See, the world around us just says, go for it. Be impulsive. Be spontaneous. Do what you want to do. Those desires are perfectly normal. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. Oh, yes, it can. We need to hold to the truths of God's Word. We can't allow the society that we, we live in to influence us and, and just slowly take us away from the truth of God's Word. And I think that for some this morning, as a born-again Christian, this is going to be pretty stark for some of you. This is going to be a real challenge for some of you because there's been so much of this loose, cheap grace preached it wasn't cheap. Jesus died to save us. And it wasn't so we could go on in a life of sin and bondage. It was so we could be free, so that we could be a new creation in Christ. Now, I just want you to hear, we need to have victory in this area. We need to learn how to make wise choices in this area. To the world around us, they just say, oh, you know, you just do what you think is right for you. Everything will be all right. I want you to know there are consequences for that philosophy. Now, if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know there are several passages that warn us about sexual immorality and the trouble it can bring. How much better to do things the Lord's way and use wisdom in such an important area of life? Proverbs 3, 21 through 24. This is the same chapter from which we have our key verse for this series, Happy is the Man Who Finds Wisdom. He says, my son, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. Sound judgment and discernment will be life for you. That sounds a lot different than the attitude of the world. Just be spontaneous. If it feels good, do it. Sound judgment and discernment will be life for you. And they will help you navigate safely through life. Then he goes on, he says, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. This is such a great promise when you put your head on the pillow. It don't have any guilt. It don't have any shame. You don't have any worries. You don't have confusing thoughts about the past and, and a fragmented soul. Y'all don't start getting quiet now. Remember what I said. He says, and your sleep will be sweet. See, that's what God has for us. That, 
the plan of God for us is good, not to harm us, but give us a hope and a future. But so many find themselves in a terrible place, a miserable place, and then they want to question God and ask why He allowed this to happen to them. He's given us a free will so we can choose to make Him the Lord of our lives, and we can choose to live our lives wisely. You know, our society, the predominant attitude about morality It's just created a whole lot of confusion and ambiguity about what's right and wrong. So we need to look to the scripture and what is right in God's eyes. See, if we're wise, we always want to do what the Lord wants. Some people think if you believe in forgiveness and grace, you shouldn't take a stand on morality. Well, here's the thing. People don't even need forgiveness and grace if there's no truth We don't even need a savior. But I want you to know that the Bible makes it real clear that we are all sinners apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all need a savior. And I thank God for his forgiveness and his grace. But we need to remember that we do need a savior so we can be changed, so that we can be different. And church, we need to take a stand for what is right. We need to be more concerned about what is B.C. than P.C. That's biblically correct instead of what's politically correct. And now here, I'm going to take this a little bit different direction. And some of you, this is where you're going to be tempted to get quiet on me. But we need to be B.C. instead of S.C. That's biblically correct instead of socially correct. Because there's a lot of believers, listen, they're against the extreme things they see happening in our culture, but they themselves set their standards by those who are in their social circle. Oh, it's about to get ugly. I'm just telling you. I love you, and if you don't walk out because then people will really know that I was talking about you. That's right. The truth is, is a lot of believers really, deep down, they have the same philosophy about morality that the world does. They just do what they think is right for them. But we need to stick with what God thinks is right and hold to the Word of God always. We're called to be God's holy people. Some think the Scripture's unclear about morality. But it's actually very clear if we'll read it with a sincere and open heart and we want to know sincerely what God says about it. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we're going to work our way through verses 9 through 20. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I want us to just remember this. Do not be deceived. The, The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, no, preacher, we believe in grace. Listen, the same person that the Holy Spirit used to write, by grace you are saved through faith, wrote this. Don't be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, 
And I want to say a couple of things about this. In the first place, I want you to see that every, every kind of sinner listed in that group can be saved. I knew a man who was a church board member one time at the a church where I served as pastor, and he didn't believe that a homosexual could be saved. Well, that ain't Bible. That, that verse tells us very plainly that such were, such were, some of them were homosexuals. But it also tells us this about every one of those kind of sinners, that every one of them used to be, not still are, used to be. Such were some of you, but there's something that happened. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise the Lord. See, such were some of you, but that's not who you are now. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been washed, sanctified, justified. And I want to say this very clearly. We are saved by grace. There's forgiveness, there's freedom, and there's restoration. But I also want to say again, don't be deceived. You can't live the same old lifestyle and inherit the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't work that way. Paul said, don't be deceived. See, he's addressing an issue with this Corinthian church. Some of them were being deceived like this. They're still living a same old kind of worldly, sinful, ungodly lifestyle. And he's telling them, don't be deceived. And it's the same today. There are Christians that still today trying to live that old sinful life. You can't still live the old way. Some Christians today, I want to tell you, they're filled with judgment, self-righteous indignation, and even anger against homosexuals. Ooh, it got really quiet now. Some Christians actually cannot stand, they hate homosexuals. And yet, when it comes to other sins, other sins even that are listed there in the passage that we read... There's this kind of an acceptance. Both are wrong. We shouldn't hate anybody, and we shouldn't just allow and accept and think that these other sins are okay. Why is there such tolerance for such sins? It's all the rage to despise homosexuals, people are angry. But then, we know about this person. They're living with somebody. They're sleeping together. They're not married. Well, you know, now. Yeah, I know. The Bible says, neither fornicators. Anybody living in sex outside of marriage will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible said. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. We can't just say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to stand up for what's right. These homosexuals are all going to hell. So are people that are living in sexual immorality. They need to get right with God. Listen, God loves you, He forgives you, He will accept you, but you're not going with all of that sin and living in an ungodly life.
All things. Listen, he goes on, he says, all things. Well, no, I, I got to get this out. It is this hypocrisy that the world sees in the church where we shake our fist and we're so angry against these sinners when in the church there are people committing all kinds of sins. The world sees that. And they call us hypocrites. And too much of the time, there's too much truth in it. It ruins our witness to the lost. We need to get it out and really make up our minds that what God says is right is right. We can't just pick somebody that sins different than we do and say they're the bad ones. Just because, just because, I'm moving on. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He's saying just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And he's saying that there are some things that if, if you aren't careful, it will bring you into bondage. We're going to talk about one of those issues in just a minute, but I want to go on. Verse 13, he says, for the stomach, food for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them Now, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will raise also raise us up by his power. Now, the point here is, is that there are things that can lead you into bondage. And one of those things I want to address just real briefly this morning is pornography. It is such a powerful addiction that destroys many lives. And listen... It destroys a lot of marriages. And to some degree, it is shaping the attitudes of a lot of people's mind and attitude about the area of sexual immorality. Oh, how we need to stick with the Word of God and not allow ourselves to be influenced by the things of this world. Verse 15, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I almost want to say, you see, sex is much more than just a physical act. And sexual immorality will take a toll on your soul on your emotions, memories that continue to impact you for many years. What is the wisdom of God about sexual immorality? I love it when the Word of God is just really clear, don't you? What is the wisdom of God about sexual immorality? Here it is. It's verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Now, we don't use the word flee much anymore unless you're talking about those little things that get on the dog, right? But he's he's saying, run. This is how you deal with sexual immorality. You run from it. You get as far away from it as you can. As quick as you can. See, when when there is impending danger, impending physical danger, what do you say? You say, run. And this is what God says to his people about sexual immorality. Run. Because there's impending danger. Get away from it. This is the counsel, this is the wisdom of God about sexual immorality. Most believers, I think to some degree at least, think that sexual immorality is a sin. 
I'm just going to put this out here. I believe that whenever God tells us something very plainly, it's a sin for us to disobey it. And here's what he says. Run from sexual immorality. See? It's a sin not to run from it. It's a sin not to remove yourself from that situation, to get as far away from it as you can, to stay away from it. How do you handle sexual immorality? Sexual temptation. You get as far away from it as you can. You don't dabble in it. You don't try to see how close you can get without committing a sin. No, you run from it. He goes on, he says, Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And there's so much evidence of this and proof of this in our society today that sexual immorality is not some harmless sin But so often it is an inroad for Satan to come to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. And it can get you to a miserable place. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? See, the attitude of a lot of people is, well, this is my life. I can do what I want. Not if you're a born-again child of God and Jesus is your Lord. You are not your own. You've been bought at a price. You belong to him. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You belong to him. And our attitude as a Christian should never be, well, where's the line? What can I get away with? Instead, our attitude ought to be, what would please the Lord? What would glorify God in my life? Now, I have some good news for you this morning. I know it's been a little rough. I've been a little strong this morning. Y'all still love me though, right? Amen, Amen. some of you. I thank God for you. So here's, here's the good news, all right? God created sex. Wow, what a wonderful idea. Thank you, Lord. This is our God. And He is not a killjoy. He wants us to enjoy life. But here's the truth. You see, when it is perverted and it is made into something that it's not supposed to be, it brings heartache and trouble in your life. But when it's within the Scripture and what God has for us, then it's a blessing and it's wonderful. Listen to this from Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators, that's those that have sex out of marriage, and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. I'm telling you, sex outside of marriage violates the Word of God, and it can bring all kinds of trouble on your life. We're going to go back to the book of Proverbs. And, you know, throughout Proverbs, Solomon addresses his son... But ladies, as we read these verses, I hope that you realize they are just as much for you. He was just speaking to his son. So I just pray that you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you as a daughter of God that this is for you also. He said, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Proverbs 5.1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. 
and her mouth is smoother than oil. You see, ladies, this is certainly for you too because there's a lot of smooth-talking devils out there who know how to make you feel like you are the most special thing in the whole world when in reality, you're just another in a long list of conquests. And as a pastor, I'm just going to put this out there. Sometimes they show up at church as an angel of light and they act like that they're all into this. They'll even come down to the front and shed some tears, and you'll think, oh, how sweet. But honey, in a month, he's gone. I'm just telling you, you need to be wise about this. You need to be aware that the enemy will try to set you up for heartache and trouble through this area of your life. He goes on, verse 4, he says, But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell lest you ponder her path. Her ways are unstable. You do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way from her, and do not go near the door of her house. You see, there it is again. you got to get away from it. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. You see, when you lose your integrity in this area... It will bring you such disrespect. Listen, it'll bring you down and it will open you up to all kinds of misery. So this morning, I want to give you three scriptural principles that will help protect us from immorality. Three simple, very direct principles that can save us a lot of heartache and trouble. First, motives matter. Jesus himself gives us this one very clearly. We know that Jesus didn't just talk about do this and don't do that. He also talked about the heart. And he does that so plainly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, when he says, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, a lot of people think that, well, here was the standard of the law, but then grace came and now it's all easy peasy, it doesn't matter. Oh no, Jesus raised the bar. Because he said it's not enough to not just commit the act. He says, I say to you that whoever looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Motives matter. The reason you do things matter. It's not just the action. It's what's in the heart. See? The world says, well, it's okay to look and it's okay to lust. It's okay to think about it. But even a lot of the world kind of frowns on a man or a woman breaking their marriage vows. But the attitude of the day is so much that, oh, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you don't actually have sex, you haven't done anything wrong. Listen to me now. Jesus said if you look with the motive to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's not a sin to look. It's not a sin to think that someone is attractive. It is a sin if you look at them with a desire in your heart that's contrary to the Word of God. Motives matter. Are you really just talking to this person to be friendly? Or is there something else there? Are you just making conversation? 
or is there a hidden motive? Motives matter. If we'll be honest and open with the Lord about the desires of our heart, I tell you, we can avoid a lot of trouble. The second principle we read in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality, you got to run from it. Most people try to resist it. You know, the Bible doesn't tell you to resist sexual immorality. It says resist the devil. Don't ever run from the devil. You stand fast and resist him. But you run from sexual immorality. You don't stand and try to resist. You don't toy with it. You don't play around. You get away from it. This is how you avoid that pitfall. Many play the game. They just want to get as close as they can to the edge without stepping over the line. And I'll tell you, that's a dangerous game. You know, the world says it's okay to dress provocatively. It's, for, it's okay for guys to make sexual innuendos. It's okay to look at, look and talk and to flirt and get attention. Playing games. Here's what the Bible says. Run. When you're tempted, run. Get out of that situation. When there's impending danger... Run. The next principle builds on both of the first two. I want to talk about want this one just a little longer because it's, it's a principle that if, if we don't do this, if we neglect this, I tell you, you will find yourself in trouble. Here it is, Romans 13, 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, no provision for the flesh means that you don't make an opportunity for your old sinful nature. Make no opportunity for your old sinful nature. You just don't even give it a chance. Romans 6.11, we're alive to God, but dead to sin. See, you just don't even give that old nature a chance. You don't even open the door. You don't let it have its way to get you in the place where you're going to be tempted. You don't even give it an opportunity. I'll tell you, we talked about how that a lot of the time little choices end up having a big impact. A lot of the time it's just little mistakes that turn into one big mistake. And if we would have just been wise from the very beginning and not made no opportunity for our sinful nature, it would have helped us avoid a lot of heartache. What if you just said no? What if you hadn't gone to that party? What if you hadn't listened, or or what if you had listened when someone tried to talk to you about what you were doing? What if you didn't click that link? What if you didn't reply to that email? What if you didn't look a second time? What if you hadn't stayed so late? See, this could just go on and on and on forever with the little bitty decisions that so often start people down a path towards trouble. So, we also talked about that to make wise decisions... A lot of the time, you make those decisions in advance. You have values that you've established in your life. For a pastor, this is just something that I do. I don't counsel with any woman alone, ever. No woman comes in my office by herself with just me, ever. One day after church, just right after church, I don't think she even attended church, but a woman came in and she said, 
I would like to talk to you. Could we go in your office? And I looked for Carmen. I didn't see her. So there were still people in the auditorium. So I said, well, we could just talk right here. And we talked for a few moments, and it was no big deal. It was of no consequence. Everything was fine. But I honestly felt like in my spirit that if I would have gone in my office with this woman, you know, just that little bit of pressure there, I don't want to offend her, that it would have been an opportunity, an inroad for Satan to bring a shadow on my integrity. Somebody going to say something. Somebody going to think something. I'm just telling you. Now, we all understand that for a pastor, it's real important that they have some guidelines and that they're careful about what they do in this area. It is for all of us. We need to be wise. We need to protect ourselves. You need to establish some guidelines to keep yourself safe. For those of you that are single and dating, it's really important for you to have some standards to keep yourself from temptation. Standards about the kind of person you go out with, and the kind of places that you go, even how late you stay out on a date. Some of you think that I'm an adult, I can do whatever I want. That's right. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. If you're attracted to someone that you're dating, and that's usually the case, right? If it's not, don't tell them. I'm just saying. But if you're attracted to someone that you're dating, then this is absolutely an issue that you're going to need to address in your own life. That's normal. You're going to have to establish some standards. Listen, believe it or not, I once was young. Yesterday when I was young, oh man. I was 21 years old. And I met this beautiful little girl. She was amazing. Still is. I was a youth pastor doing my best to serve God with all my heart. Here's this young lady, born again at six years old, filled with the Holy Spirit at nine. She is tongue-talking on fire, woman of God. And yet, it's still hard for us. I can't imagine how people think they're going to marry some lukewarm Christian or some unsaved person and keep themselves morally pure. I don't know how that works. Man, when there's an attraction, it's a battle. But I'm going to tell you a few things this morning that can help. Make sure you're never where you can't be caught. Mm, That's hard for adults. Make it where it's hard for you to mess up in this area. Make it where it's easy for you to do the right thing. Mm, That's good preaching. See, we put ourselves in this place where it's hard to do the right thing. No, you, you make it where it's easy to do the right thing. You make it where it's hard for you to do the wrong thing. That's wisdom. Let me tell you a story about Sally and Fred. If your name is Sally or Fred, please forgive me and just picked out some names. Fred is married. Sally isn't. They're working on a project at work together. One day, Fred notices it's lunchtime, and they're right in the middle of this project, and he, 
he has the thought. He thinks, oh, well, we can just go to lunch. I mean, it's just people eat, you know. I eat every day. But he has this hesitation, but then he decides it's just lunch. And so he takes Sally to lunch, and they talk about their work project. And then a week or so later, they work a little late, and it's dinner time, and he's like, has this moment of hesitation again, you know, a little check, but he thinks, well, we could go to dinner. I mean, there's no difference between lunch and dinner. It's no big deal. We're going to talk about our project. They go to dinner. They work on their project. And everything's good. Then another week or so later, it's time to go home, and Fred realizes that Sally's car is in the shop, so he's thinking, well, I could just be nice and give her a ride home. There's nothing wrong with that. Just help somebody out. So he gives her a ride home. When he gets to her house, she says, hey, you want to come in for just a minute? He thinks, well, you know what? It's not a sin to go into somebody's house. There's nothing wrong with that. So he goes in, and they talk for a few minutes. He leaves. No harm, no foul. There's nothing wrong here. And then over the next couple of weeks, they keep talking at work, and it becomes more personal, and he starts talking to her about the problems that he's got at home with his marriage. Another occasion comes up for him to give her a ride home. And again, she says, hey, you want to come in for a minute? He's like, yeah, okay. And then Fred somehow decides to give her a hug. You know, it's what friends do sometimes. And in that moment of that embrace, they both realize that there's a connection here. You know, they feel the sparks. Now, here's the question. Can Fred leave the embrace of an attractive woman and just turn and walk out that door and go home to his problems? Yes, he can. How much easier is it for Fred to say, no, I'm not taking her to lunch? See, people always rationalize when they're starting down the wrong path. Need to be careful. You know, that's when the decision needs to be made, is before you even ever start down that path. Here's some common situations that are an open door for moral failure for a married person. And if some of these, you know, if you're there, hey, I'm just throwing these out random, and, and I even know, I, I hear you. You know, when I'm preaching, I hear the Lord's voice. Sometimes I hear 15 others, too, just saying, but I hear you. I know some of you are going to say, oh, I've done that a dozen times, no, no harm. I'm just throwing these out here that many times these are the starting of a path to something that's going to get you in trouble. So here we go having a meal or coffee alone with a member of the opposite sex. Working late with a member of the opposite sex alone. Chatting online with members of the opposite sex. Having intimate conversations with members of the opposite sex, especially if it's about your marriage. The next two are just, well, really foolish. I shouldn't even have to mention this, but it's such a problem in our culture, and don't get mad at me, I'm trying to help you. Ladies' night out dancing. Seems harmless. She likes to dance. He doesn't. So she goes out with her friends to dance. But then, you know, they're standing around the table having a little drink. And before long, she's saying to her friends, 
Who's that guy over there? Is he looking at me? Guys have their night out at the club. You know, the rules of Vegas apply. You know what happens here stays here. Who's going to know? Nobody's going to know. It's no big deal. If it's not wrong, how come nobody can know? Now, here's, here's one that... having a drink with somebody of the opposite sex. This is what I call as stupid on top of stupid. There is so much sexual immorality that started with a little alcohol. Foolish, foolish choice. Don't play games with this area of your life. There's too much at stake. I want to read a passage from Proverbs chapter 5 that tells us that we should keep our sexual desire at home just between us and our spouse. Proverbs 5, 15 through 19. The NIV, it says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Yes, it's talking about sex. Should your springs overflow in the street, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. She don't look so young anymore. Neither do you, spare tire. (laughs) A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Well, that's pretty R-rated, isn't it? It's okay to read the Bible in church. This isn't even Song of Solomon, just saying. But. but here's the thing. The Bible is showing us that sex is a wonderful thing within God's design. The world almost never portrays sex in marriage as something beautiful and wonderful. But this is how it's supposed to be. Always captivated by her love. So I want to give you five things real quickly that will help you affair-proof your marriage. Number one, pray together. Anything that God is in the middle of is going to be blessed. And statistics show that of couples that pray together regularly, only 1% gets divorced. That is an amazing success rate. And when you pray, remember to pray together and to pray for one another. But don't pray, Lord, fix my spouse. (laughs) So many people pray that way. Number two, work on your relationship. You don't take it for granted. You don't allow it to drift. There's always a reason why people wander. There's a hurt, a frustration, a disappointment, something that begins to cause a distance between you. So don't just let it go, but work on it. Number three, court each other. It's amazing how when people get divorced, they lose 20 pounds and they start fixing up. Date your spouse and be dateable. See, they get divorced, they want to lose 20 pounds, they want to look good. Why don't you want to look good for your wife, for your husband? Get rid of that 20-year-old robe and buy you something nice. (laughs) Husband's Valentine's Day is in two days. It'd be a good time for you to do that. I mean for her. (laughs) Oh, man. 
It's a good time, a good time for you to court your wife. You don't have to do it on Valentine's Day. The restaurants are too crowded, right? But no, it's a great time for you to just make a, a new beginning and fresh start in courting your spouse. I can't, I don't have enough swag, enough credit to get away with this on my own. So I'm going to throw this on our former pastor, Brother Harold Nichols, that pastored the church for 50 years. He used to say, if the barn needs painting, paint it. I'm sorry, ladies. I'm sorry. I'm just quoting him. But here's what I want to say, too, though. Guys, take a bath. Put on some deodorant. Do what you can with what you got. And you court your wife. It's important if you want to affair-proof your marriage. Number four is be accountable to one another regarding the opposite sex. Now, that doesn't mean that you should be jealous of your spouse and that, you know, you got to answer to every little jealousy that pops into their mind. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not healthy. But the world says that, you know, you, you got your phone. This is my phone. That's your, did you touch my phone? Did you look at something on my phone? That's my email account. That's my social media. Did you get on my social media? You bet. You don't need to have secrets between husband and wife. Let me tell you what the Bible says about husband and wife. They are one. I know, I understand all this this philosophy, this attitude, but I'm telling you this helps divorce or or affair-proof your marriage if you don't have secrets. You're accountable to one another. Last. Praise and compliment one another. All of us need to feel wanted, needed, attractive, appreciated, loved. One of the reasons that women oftentimes get taken in by some sweet talker is because she's not getting any compliments at home. Instead, she's being criticized and put down. She wants to feel attractive and wanted. And along comes some guy with, some sweet talking guy with impure motives. And she starts feeling things that she hadn't felt in a long time. You want to affair-proof your marriage? You appreciate your wife. If you don't talk sweet to her, somebody else will. And every guy, whether he ever played football or not, wants a cheerleader in his corner. He wants a woman that will tell him he's great and encourage him as a man, make him feel like he's important and appreciated. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. Don't listen to the world. What they're doing ain't working. Use the wisdom of Scripture and make wise choices in this area of your life. Oh, it'll, it'll help you. It'll protect you. And it'll help you get to a happy place in life. Stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like for our prayer partners to come.